Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. So while I mistakenly thought my dad didn't know what podcasts are, he does, and he's listened to a couple of my episodes. And this one we have coming up is, I'm going to say, a no male family member listen episode. So dad, any of my brothers that were thinking this might be interesting, I'm going to do you a favor and say, go ahead and skip this one. Like, But for real, don't listen to this one. I am really, really excited about today's guest because One of the main reasons behind doing this podcast was to shed light on the things that most people don't talk about or make assumptions about or are scared to talk about and want to know more about. And one of the things that I was was digging through the abyss of social media to find was someone who had been in the sex work field, familiar with the sex work field. And I asked a friend, the gentleman who owns Howl and Hyde in Indy, because they did a campaign with sex workers for their Valentine's Day launch. And it was just really cool. So he put me on to Dr. Dulcinea Pitagora, who is my guest today. And you were my unicorn. When I found, I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Because you have the personal experience. And I think just... I'm so sorry. Like, there's going to be a lot of ignorance. I actually have some things written down for you to define for me because I, I'm not as familiar as I would like to be with the pronouns and the and the different lingo. So I apologize in advance for that. But having the personal experience and already breaking the stereotype of what I think most people think when they think sex work, um, which is you know limited education, limited opportunities, because you are now a doctor and a psychotherapist and a sex therapist and wildly successful. So you were my unicorn. I was so happy you were willing to be on. So uh, tell us as much of your background as you're comfortable with without being too intrusive. Thanks for having me. What a lovely, thanks for all those nice words. (laughs) Appreciate that. Let's see. So about my background, and we're talking about maybe the trajectory of being a sex worker into like where I am now. Yes. Yeah. Which, um, so now, like backing up, as you said, like, so now I'm a psychotherapist, um, specialized with a specialization in sex therapy and uh, lots of different letters. I just happen to enjoy racking up lots of student loans. So I got Yes, like, you have lots of titles. It's very impressive. <laughs> oh, thanks. 
that's the goal is to impress people, of course. <laughs> um, no, um, but it, no, it was fun. And I luckily I love going to school and that was nice. But like, I'll, I'll be honest, part of it is um, so, so then to kind of not cut myself off, but like to back, keep continue to back up. Um, I was a sex worker for decades um, in different ways. And, um, you know, starting in my 20s. And then so now I'm early 50s. So like, you know, uh, retired at some point in my 40s, as I was transitioning to become a therapist, because it was important to me. It's always been important to me to be out and vocal about who I am and my identities and everything. It just feels better to me. And I think it allows me to be who I am and to do my job better. But I I did want to be a former sex worker before I started be, you know, doing shifting careers into therapy. So that was always part of the plan. It was my plan. And I'm not saying it was easy. I went through a lot of, I went through some personal turmoil and it was hard, but I got the support and I did it and it, it, it worked out great, but it was scary, you know, but yeah, that was my plan because I wanted to go. I, first of all, I'm not able to like go deep into branding in two different directions. That feels like that would have taken my brain and to like split my brain in a way that I wouldn't be able, like it wasn't going to work for me, but I really wanted to be able to talk transparently about my, you know, like not, I, you know, I don't necessarily give all the nitty gritty details because like I'm allowed to have private information about myself, but to be transparent about who I am and my history to the extent that I want, right? Mm-hmm. And how that informs my work now. And also to let people know that I have this expertise that comes from being, having been a sex worker, which is like a master's in itself. Like I, it's basically an MBA and it's also like a Uh, in marketing and and branding, like, you know, you learn a lot, you have to learn a lot by doing that. And then it transitioned really nicely for me into becoming a therapist, because um, the one thing I found that is like, kind of the same thing that sex workers do as therapists do is hold a safe space for people to be who they really are. Yeah. I mean, over the years, a lot of people have been confused and asked me like, you know, what sex therapy is, and, and what they weren't quite clear. So I put it on my FAQ that like, you know, sex therapy is is talk is still talk therapy. It's a specialization. They're not coming in to have sex with you. <laughs> you guys are no, talking. No, <laughs> and you know, some yeah. people have tried, you know, they've wanted to. And I'm like, you know, no, that's not what this is. But like, you know, yeah. no judgment. Go ahead and do that elsewhere. Like, and, I, and I'm not giving referrals for that because that's yes. not like in my scope of a business these days. So I think coming from this from a very ignorant standpoint, but also really wanting to learn, being open to learning, which... I think a lot of the the people who are listening to my podcast do have that open mindset. My experience with what sex work is. So this girl I know has had, you know, drug addiction and mental illness for over a decade and has gone in and out of her version of of sex work to be able to pay for her drug addiction and I think incorrectly a lot of people think okay that's sex work it's because you have mental illness or you have no other choice you have no other resources so this is what you're doing and you know we should all feel sorry for you and i know that's not the the case um i don't know the you know percentages of who chooses to go into it versus who kind of does it um, as a need. So I don't know if you have any more information about that. But if you're comfortable, I would love to hear you talk more about how or why you got into it into your 20s and what that active, passive choice life situation looked like at the time. Well, yeah, just to just to say like that it's it is a common misconception that sex workers are just, you know, people that are really, let's say, damaged or broken. Like yeah. there, there's actually research, you know, on the, like the, 
I forget what it's called, but like the broken person stereotype of sex work. I think. Yeah. So that's a super common misconception. And the reason is because that's what we see in the media. Like if yeah. we look at movies and shows or whatever, like that's far, far and away, like most people are like, you know, oh, so what happened to make that person want to do that? This like what people feel like is a, such a terrible thing. And like it's this socialization that comes from all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It comes from a place of controlling what women should and shouldn't do. Yeah. Um, women and people, but like statistically, the most people that we see out there, women are, are sex work. There are all genders doing sex work, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, women are the ones the most vilified. You know, I, I honestly, like if you see men, like men, there are certainly men out there doing sex work. And it's just like, oh, well, men, men are kind of allowed to have all the sex they want. And like, it's understandable. Oh, it's understandable. Like men, men have sex, men have a lot, yes. of, men like to have a lot of sex, you know, sure, they're a sex worker. Yeah, that, they must be having fun. But if it's a woman, like, oh, wow, like, she must hate her life so yeah. much, right. And then there must be a real reason, like, yeah, she has a drug habit to support or something. But that's just a huge misconception. Mm-hmm. And for me, so first of all, like always been um, a sex positive, like a sexual person. And so not mm-hmm. everybody is prioritizes their sexuality. Some do, some don't. And it's fine either way. Like, I've you know, just started doing it in the last decade. I'm almost 40. Great. So it's taken it's taken some yeah. time to get comfortable with it because that's not how I was raised. And it's very scary for other people that I am not who they would like me to be necessarily because I talk about sex. Um, So it is. It's interesting to see people's reactions. I hope they get the support around that that they need. (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't much of a leap for me. I like for me uh, in my 20s, um, I was going to school, uh, you know, all of this. And it was through somebody I knew who was had tried it out. And I was like, oh, how interesting. And it just like occurred to me as something that I was curious about, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know, I didn't come from any kind of money, like, you know, and my didn't have really financial support from my family. It was like starting with student loans very early. And um, I was like, wow, that seems like I could do that for money. Like I, this other job that like, w- you know, waiting tables, like is a lot of hard, long work and it's not making me that much money. Mm-hmm. And I tried it. I'm like, oh, that was actually easier than I thought. Um, because, you know, again, I've been socialized just like everybody else. It's like, oh, that this must be terrible. Um, this job is like the worst job ever. But like, actually, no, like had way worse jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it started. And, I'm, and I found it incredibly empowering. I was like, I this gives me independence. It gives me kind of like the ability to take care of myself, um, to support myself. And again, like I didn't have, you know, other financial support. And so it was actually a, a really big moment for me. And one in a positive direction. It was yeah. empowering and a choice you made and a choice you continued to make. Not to say it's like some glamorized, like sometimes it was, did feel very glamorous and other times it felt like, oh, I don't feel like working today. Like this is not, but like, I'm going to do what I need to do. And there were some bad situations and there were some fun situations. You know, it's like kind of like any job, like we, it's work. Yeah. It's, it's just work, you know? Yeah. As far as like the line of sex work, I think in my head there are like different, there's like, what's the difference between an escort and a sex worker? Or is there a difference? Like all the different terms that are used, like do people use the word prostitute anymore? I don't think they do. I think it's not a thing. Yeah. I mean, 
there, there is a thing where, you know, some people re- reclaim language, like, you know, the word slut has been reclaimed by a lot of people that like, they enjoy their sexuality, and they like using that word to refer to themselves. So in that same way, sometimes there's some reclamation of language like that prostitute, like some people, like whore, for example, is a word that has really been reclaimed, like whore would in for a very long time, and currently still is yeah. used to be a very derogatory term. But in the sex work community, not everyone for sure, but there are certainly people who use it proudly or mm-hmm. use it as a term of endearment, you know, but in terms of the the difference between like, yeah, prostitute is really like one of those words. It's like a law enforcement word. It's like a, a word that, you know, not a lot of sex workers would use about mm-hmm. themselves necessarily. But again, like, I think some of them might because... You know, people just come from all different places, yeah. think all different. Sex workers are are just like everybody else in that they're just like a cross-section of whoever's mm-hmm. out there. They're all sorts of people, genders. They come from different places, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Like some people come from no money. Some people are come from money and they just like want to do this thing because for whatever reason, you know. Yeah. And so it's really kind of impossible to, to stereotype. There is a stereotype, but it's not correct because yes. everybody is so different. Um, but like, you know, escort, typically there's a difference between like full service and then other kinds of sex work that are not full service, full service, meaning like um, people that have like pretty much typical, um, let's call it penis and vagina sex, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, like typical sex being like mainstream sex where there's penetrative sex. Usually the the sex worker is we're talking about like statistically the thing that happens in full service sex work, like the most frequent thing to happen is like, it's like you have a sex worker who's a woman who's like um, getting penetrated. Like that's just like the, yeah. you know, in full service sex, like that just to, just to say it, that's not, you know, I, I hate to generalize, but like statistically that's how it will play out. But there's all sorts of other things that could happen. And just cause you're a full service sex worker doesn't mean that you're always going to have be penetrated by your client. There's other stuff that happens like, but you, but usually that for a lot of people that's on the table in the, in that term, full service. Um, so escort, escort is a, a synonym for that. I would say, you know, it's kind of like a, a coded word for full service, but mm-hmm. like sometimes it's it truly is escorting. It's like going out on on dates like being like you know date for hire mm-hmm. but it it most people use that word to mean yeah. full service sex work i feel like there's probably a misconception about who is on the other end of sex work as well what has your years of experience and research shown for i imagine it kind of runs the gamut much like people who are in the sex work industry um although that's probably not the assumption well so first of all it's people who can afford it yeah. Because usually it's expensive, but there's a range of fees, right? There's a range of rates for different sex workers. So, but it's somebody who has that money to spend, mm-hmm. right? And and then oftentimes, like, so if we're talking about statistical mainstream sex worker and client, like if, if we're saying that most sex workers are women and like maybe they're cis women, maybe they're not. I would say the majority of them are for sure cis women just because that the majority of women are cis women statistically, Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the majority of clients would be men um, because we're talking about this like mainstream. So this is just like how it plays out. Like yeah. that statistically, most people in the population are straight and cis, just, just statistically. Oh, it's, I just realized it's hard to say that. <laughs> um, and so 
so yeah, we're talking about like maybe a, a common demographic might be like a man, a cis man who, and also they tend to make more money. So it makes sense that they would have more expendable income, mm-hmm. like more money, like, you know, money they can spend on sex workers. And, you know, so I would say that is a client. Um, and also it's the thing about um, cis men is they are also socialized to behave in a certain way from birth. Right. Mm-hmm. And it can be, you know, and, and it can be very constraining for all of us to be socialized in this way. And like you're, you're saying even like in the last few years, you've been exploring your sexuality, which is amazing. Like there's no time like the present or later or whenever you want to, but it's, we are get, we are started out with these constraints. And so a lot of the clients, you asked about clients, they just would like a place where they can do, they're not judged or where they can relax more, where there's like the expectation is different, where it's more straightforward. Mm -hmm. It's a transaction. It's like, it's usually more discussed, like in sex work, like boundaries are discussed and like desires. Whereas in other relationships, like it's, it's actually uh, more on the rare side for people to start out in relationships saying like, these are my desires. These are my hard limits. This is what I never want to do. This is what I would always like to do. What about you? Like, here's what my relationships preferred style of, you know, interaction, like, yeah, unfortunately, nobody ever starts out that way. No, you ask, you know, uh, how many kids do you want? And do you want to live in the suburbs or the city and all those things that there's so many assumptions? Yeah. (laughs) So I have um, a two and a half year old daughter and a four and a half year old son. And I'm sure I over I overthink everything. But trying to create this level playing field for them, even from this age, because it is so different. You know, boys in high school, it's like celebrated when they lose their virginity, but girls, they're not. And, and how do they know what virginity even is? What is virginity? Oh my gosh. What are they I, losing? What are they gaining? Like what kind of sex may, means that you, anyway, I just like to, I like to throw that in. I'm almost all the way through come as you are. It's like pinkish red, I, but it's really good and really interesting. And I just listened to the chapter about like the hymen and what it actually is. And it, it just again, could go down the rabbit hole. This is, and, and just to expand, like it's a deep rabbit hole, but like to make it even, to make it really wide, you're talking about a specific kind of sex and like yes. losing virginity then means like, oh, you have a vagina that had a hymen and now it's been penetrated. But that's that's a very narrow definition of sex, right? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have different stressors, some big, some small that we carry around and that really weigh us down. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to have a negative effect on us. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. For me, therapy has been so helpful, really learning those positive coping skills and to be the best version of myself. I know myself better and how to set the right boundaries that really work for me. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, then give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash AF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash AF. Coming from um, a Catholic school, not necessarily anyone at my high school, but I I heard conversations of other Catholic school girls talking about their virginity because they'd only had anal sex. And I'm like, ah, 
I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna make a call on that, but I feel like you're <laughs> well, maybe... sex is in the name. It's yeah. called anal sex. So yes. oh, it's guess what? It's sex. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You know, but that 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 was that was great. There. Have Bye. anal. Like if that's what you need to do to have anal, I'm all for it. Like call it whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have yes, you have your virginity, no problem. Have, yeah. have all great. the anal sex you want. Whatever. With a condom, preferably yes. and lube. Question for people that are in a relationship that want to engage in a conversation with their partner about, hey, I kind of want to talk about this. Like, what do you think about that? Do you have any advice for how to do that in in a way where they would feel, you know, like healthy and safe and happy? And it's with the assumption that you're in a relationship that you can even communicate that way, which unfortunately I think a lot of people aren't. So understanding that. (laughs) Well, so the first step is, is like to know whether or not you're in that kind of yeah. relationship, right? Like that's the first step. Like, is it safe for me to have this or like, is this available to me? And if it's not, maybe you can get there. Like maybe there's some work to be done first so that you can get there, which is, you know, whatever the work is, maybe it's couples therapy or, you know, learning how to communicate and, and address some things. But if you're in a relationship where you can have these kind of conversations my recommendation, because it can make people feel really vulnerable and that there are a lot of times people are nervous and afraid to bring something like this up. And again, it's like goes back to socialized shame. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to say, I want to do this because then it implies yeah. what we're doing isn't enough. Like you're not doing enough for me. Right. I, I think that's a great point. And so I, I always recommend starting out by talking about like a little conversation about a conversation and to first of all, make sure it's good timing for the other person. So I like to, I like to talk about the concept of like consent for a conversation. Like Mm -hmm. is like, I have something I want to talk about. I feel a little anxious about it. Um, I want to make sure like, all right. And it's about, it's about sex or something. It's nothing, it's nothing bad. I don't think it's really bad, but like, I, are you in a place where you want to talk about this? Um, or you don't have to say the thing about it, it's nothing bad. If you don't know, like maybe you don't know. You could just say, I'm a little nervous, but I like I trust you and I are you mm-hmm. are you open to hearing about it? And maybe it's like, you know, because if the person is really distracted, let's say, or they're stressed about work or they're hungry, you know, then you want to do it another time. You want to be successful in the conversation. Yeah, don't so, mess with me if I'm hangry. Oh, no. And so like, <laughs> let's go have you know, brunch, and then we'll talk about sex, right? And that, that's, yeah. a, that's, a really, that's a great idea. So, you know, first of all, you want to make sure that, like, how do you set up the conversation for success, right? Like, that's the, that's the point. It's like, make sure the person, it's good timing for the person, they're receptive to it, what do you need to do to get there? And then I would just start, like, say it's good timing and everyone's on board. Uh, you know, I would start out by saying, like, you know, I've been thinking about this thing. I'm a little, I feel a little vulnerable. I'm a little nervous to talk about it because I don't want, like, I'm worried that you're going to feel like our sex isn't enough. And I love the sex we're doing. Or, like, I love this about what we're doing. And I have some ideas for other stuff we could do that I think I would be into. Are you open to hearing that? And then it's, like, putting the person your partner in a position to be like, you know, cause if, if you have that kind of relationship, then your partner is going to be like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to do something for like, this is great. Right. Like we want to do things for our partners usually when, mm-hmm. if it's addressed that way, if it's like brought up in the way to like, you can do something for me and like, you know, let's, and I would like to do something for you. And like, how do we have this conversation? There's only been one thing, my poor family, if they listen, this is one of the ones that you guys got to drop my, little disclaimer in the beginning of to tell my dad and brothers not to listen to. It'd be very uncomfortable for them. But 
there's only one thing that my husband was like, I kind of want to try this. And I'm like, okay, because I, I joked that we got to save something for marriage. And we talked about it and kind of did it in like a fun joking way. Like, okay, what's our safe word? We stop if you say pineapple. And yeah. and so it was kind of like funny, which I think humor allows people to kind of get through potentially uncomfortable situations a little easier yeah. if you make it playful. I think it's a great idea to be okay with feeling awkward because, you know, when we're not used to doing something or talking about something you know, it takes practice to feel comfortable. This is just anything. It takes practice. Like you do something for the first time or before you do it, you're maybe nervous and you feel awkward and like you didn't get it quite right. And that's okay that you're going in the right direction. Now you've tried and now you're going to fine tune it. And that's the same with conversations or with doing like exploring sexuality. So I recommend like just leaning into the awkwardness and like using humor is great. Um, it depends on the people involved, right? Like that wouldn't yeah. be ideal for everybody. But yeah. I think it's a great idea for a lot of people and um, it, it makes sense that it would work um, for that because it is funny. Like a lot of the stuff is hilarious. Like sex can be hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I like when with my partners, I love to laugh. Like, you know, even if we're doing stuff that like doesn't seem like you should be laughing, like it's, <laughs> it can be really fun. Like if you're having fun, why wouldn't you want to laugh? Like I, that's yeah. the way I think about it. But yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great approach to kind of lighten the mood and, uh, you know, to to feel a little less awkward. But also there's nothing wrong with, saying the wrong thing. And like, and that can be part of the conversation. It's just like acknowledge, like, I don't know if I'm going to say this the right way. I might take a couple tries and it's okay to like say something and then to be like, well, that didn't sound quite right. Let me try it another way. Or, you know, did you get what I mean? What do you think I was saying? And like, just collaborating, really making it a collaboration. My husband and I have to do it a lot and it's kind of annoying because it feels very, you know, shrinky in quotes, Mm -hmm. but I'll say, can you can you repeat back to me what you think I said? Because what I, what I think I said, I would not elicit the response I'm getting from you. So what what, what do you think I said? And then you know, fifty fifty, it's what I actually said or what he internalized, which is just as much the truth as 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 it is not. It's what he felt. So there's definitely then the opportunity for some clarification. And well, this is what I was trying to say. What did you get from that? So just kind of. Like, let's do a do-over here. Try to get the communication right. That's a great approach. I love that approach. And I, I you know, I, I recommend, as you said, it's shrinky. And I, I, I love that. I recommend that all the time. To, <laughs> it's called active listening, really. And it's like where you're like, you know, you trade and you trade off um, mm-hmm. to active listen to each other and you repeat back. And, and that does give you an opportunity to say like, okay, like I need to elaborate or say it in a different way so that, you know, and sometimes it takes it multiple tries. That's okay. Yeah. So whether it is, um, you know, a heteronormative relationship or a polyamorous, um, really any, I feel like red flags across the board, there's probably some overlap and maybe some not, but I kind of want to have you talk to everyone that's listening about what red flags you should be looking for in a relationship that might signal the beginning of this is not going to go in the right direction, whether it's trust or physical, mental, emotional abuse. Yeah. A little bit about that. I mean, red flags can be signs of different things, right? They're kind of indicators that something needs to be clarified, I feel like, um, for the most part. And sometimes a red flag can just be you don't know someone well enough yet and you don't know where they're coming from. And so you need more information and maybe that comes over time or maybe you can just ask. And then other times red flags can be a sign of like oncoming manipulation or abuse or like mistreatment or 
a bad match. It doesn't even have to be that serious. It could just be like, we're not right for each other. Mm-hmm. I think getting clarification, you know, again, it all comes down to communication. And I think a red flag of somebody like, you know, not wanting, just saying like, I'm not going to talk about this with you. Like I refuse to talk about this. Now that can also be okay sometimes. Like sometimes people need time and space to think about what they want to say. And if it can be a boundary. So Mm-hmm. Sometimes a red flag might actually be a boundary, but then you can ask, you can say like, okay, I respect your boundary. Is that what it is? Like, will we be able to talk about this some other time? Mm-hmm. Can we come back to it? Exactly. And so it's just like being curious about where the person is coming from. And if it just, like, I just encourage people to kind of really do a little like somatic exploration, which means all that means is just like, how, what does this really feel like to your body? Like, what is your body telling you? Because intellectually, something can be confusing. Like, I don't understand this person's behavior. And this confusion itself can be kind of a red flag. It's like, I need clarity, but I can't get it. Like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to clarify and I can't. And then you listen to your body and like, what is your body telling you about the situation? Are you clenching up somewhere? Yeah, I think a lot of times across the board, you're you, we use our brains to rationalize away yeah. What our our bodies are like, ah, no, no, maybe, maybe not. And you're like, well, but this or this or this right. or so just kind of like listening to yourself a little bit more. Right. And our brains, like we want a certain thing, like we want it to work out or we want whatever we want. And so our like our brains are get really good at rationalizing. That's a great point mm-hmm. because and we can make ourselves do things very easily. Like we can cross our own boundaries um, mm-hmm. or we can make red flags, turn them into other colors, like ignore them, whatever. And so that's why I do like the looking for information in different sources, like our brain, our body, um, you know, to, to try to kind of fact check ourselves. And then the other thing I am telling myself and other people all the time is to slow down, because if you feel like you have a real sense of urgency and you need to hurry up and you need to get this thing done or you need to do something, ask yourself it's if it's an emergency, like is someone's, is there danger if there's no danger, if there's no imminent harm, slow down, even if you mm-hmm. feel like you have to speed up, especially slow down. You know what I yeah. mean? Because that means you're likely to gloss over something. That means your brain is like, nope, I don't want to see that. I'm going to rush forward. I'm yeah. going to not ask the question because I need to make this thing happen. So what's the hurry? I'm, and I'm saying, you know, I recommend slowing down in that case. I need to do that in all aspects of my life. <laughs> I have... Two specific questions. Again, the first one I definitely feel like a dingling about. But when I was looking at the team you have in your practice, which is extensive, I felt very silly because it's, you know, the person's name and then their identifiers. And I don't know the difference between she, her, she, they, or she, any. I think I don't understand what the second part necessarily means. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, it just, I think, so that those like little parentheses to that's becoming more common. Uh And, um, you know, even if, even for people who are, are cisgender, meaning like they were assigned female at birth and they like, I identify as a woman, that's like aligned. Those terms are aligned or a man or, or, you know, you know, people will put their pronouns in parentheses. And when they're combined like that, that, that just means that people are open to those, those, either of those. And if you're curious about when to use which one, usually if they're just there and someone hasn't told you, then either is okay. And like, whatever, like if you want to use she, if you want to use they for that person, 
that person is open to either of those things, but everyone's different. And so maybe there's more to it. Maybe it's contextual, maybe around certain people, they want to use one and other people, but just when they put it out there like that, to me, the way I read that is that they're okay with my using either one. And what I did just now, when I said they're okay, like I default to they, if somebody this is my own practice. Instead of him or her, they. I do that because even if it, they start with she, like it's it's kind of a, that's a, again, a socialized thing. It's like we prioritize yeah. cisgender pronouns. <laughs> it's just so we can't, we just can't help it. Like we are, yeah. we can't help it, but like that's just the default again. Mm-hmm. And so I like to lean into like, oh, well, a person is open to either. So I'm going to use they because maybe they don't hear that a lot or maybe they're nervous to say it or whatever it is. And or, you know, or I'll ask them, you could say like, for the purposes of today or this context, mm-hmm. like, do you have a preference, you know? Yeah. What's, so the she, any, that's the first time I'd seen that. What's the difference with that? To me, that says like, they're totally comfortable with she, but they're also totally comfortable with really any pronoun that you, you, you feel like using for them. And it's really a way to communicate like pronouns aren't that important to me. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. But again, like that's my read on it. And I yeah. I would always ask somebody, you know. Yeah. My second question, I just, uh, I remember hearing on the news, you know, last month about um, using ketamine for, oh, yeah. uh, as, as an assistive drug in, in therapy and depression. And again, in my head, all I know is like, well, isn't that special, okay? Like, isn't that a drug that people do and it's not legal? But it can be legal. So I guess talking yeah. a little bit about, the ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and how sure. that kind of came to be and, and what that can do for people. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like there are a lot of things that can be legal or illegal, like sex, <laughs> for example. <laughs> yeah. It depends on what the context is and it, how if someone's regulating it and like what the deal is. And like, let's say prescribed medication, for example, you can use it recreationally, which is not, a, not the way you're supposed to use it. Is yeah. that illegal? I don't know. Um, But yeah, ketamine um, can be used recreationally. A lot of people use it recreationally, but it's actually been used for a long time. Well, first of all, it's, it's also an anesthesia, like it's used in surgeries and like different, you know, it's also used uh, with animal, like, you know, animal, you know, it's like a, it's used in medicine and surgery. So it's been used that way for a very long time. And it's also been used therapeutically for, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of research on it. And it's now there's a, there's a wave of psychedelics in general that are going through FDA testing to be used therapeutically. And like, we're on the verge of like psilocybin, which is like the mushroom, you know, mushrooms or MDMA, uh, which, you know, both of those things are better known probably as recreational drugs, but there are procedures and protocols that are being used for PTSD, for depression, um, you know, things like this trauma. So yeah, ketamine is, is another one of those things, but it is legal and, there are protocols, there are different ways that people use it in this like therapeutic context, different vehicles, like there's an IV, which takes a certain kind of you know provider and a certain context. And then there are other kinds of uses like, so my training is in using, it's ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And I, I work with um, Journey Clinical, who's the company that like connects ther- psychotherapists with medication prescribers and provides training and all of this. And also of referrals and everything. But um, the format, it comes there as a lozenge that a client will put. And so there are different ways to do it. And the thing, just to give you kind of a really brief nutshell of it, is that it 
is a medicine that it increases neuroplasticity. So it means that like it changes your brain functioning and it gives you a window of time to where you can do. You kind of get out of your own way. It, that's a great way to say it. And it, it like gives you the opportunity to kind of, it gives you a break from like negative thinking, like negative self-talk. And then it helps like you do strength training and like therapeutic, like reward system type stuff, like mm-hmm. whatever good habits that you want to practice. The window of time after you do the treatment after you take the medicine, your brain is more receptive to like instilling good habits, basically. And so okay. there's a period of integration that you do in the therapy. There's there's the day that you take the medicine and that's its own thing. Um, but the, t- the window after that is really kind of an important time period to reinforce these good. So you're doing talk therapy uh, along with- After, yeah. Know. Before and after there's like preparation- and then there's integration. So, yeah. It's very interesting. And I could see why, you know, it's too much of a good thing. People use it as a party drug. But the reason you do it is because you kind of get out of your own head. And I, I'm, you know, it, I'm very much in my own head about a lot of things. And it takes a lot of active effort to, and, and I'm on Lexapro and Wellbutrin, which helps a ton. Sure. But that's, I was just super interested in that. So thank you for explaining it a little bit more. You're welcome. And when you say get out of, you know, get in your own head, I think those are actually other voices in your head. The socialization yeah. is in your head. And it's like, it's just so noisy. Like we're all, we all have mm-hmm. that. And it gets so noisy. And then the benefit of some of these treatments is that it kind of mutes that a bit so that you can really understand what you're, like you can interact with yourself mm-hmm. with all of that, without all of that noise and static. And like, that's the way I think about it. It kind of interrupts that. Oh, Steph, go. Do you have a question? I have one question. I think like we sort of approach this from a different angle with partners, but if you um, were partnerless or didn't have a partner right now, but also wanted to explore like play or your sexuality, what advice would you give to someone who hasn't ventured onto that path yet? Like a safe way to do that? Yeah. Or just like, I think people are so scared of their own bodies. That's That's really true. And it goes back to like, you know, this kind of, the socialization that like, you, we shouldn't even say masturbation out loud. It's like so hard for people to say it. And I say it, that's why I say it a lot, masturbation, because I feel like it's like, people get gets people used to really, like, it's just a word. It's like, it's a thing yeah. that, it's one of those words that like, it's one of these activities that it's the biggest contrast between the number of people doing it and the number of people talking about talking it. Talking about like, it. <laughs> every, pretty much everybody is masturbating and like who's talking about it very few people are talking about yeah. it yeah and so that's great i love it when people will you know are willing to because that's good it's like setting a good example for people but um so yeah i think that's part of it um is like self-exploration like so if you don't have a partner and you want one now I'll, i will also interject that there's nothing wrong with not having a partner like you get there are a lot of people who feel like oh there's something wrong with me I, i'm supposed to have a partner um but maybe they don't want a partner or maybe, you know, or maybe they want to, yeah, maybe they explore relationships in a different way. Maybe they prioritize different kinds of relationships. It's all good. Like, you know, it's, it's if it's working for you and you, uh, you know, then there's nothing wrong with that. But 
So, so yeah, it really depends on the person. And that's almost always my answer is it depends because. Steph, are you looking for like, like what's a website mm-hmm. I could go to, to find like-minded individuals? No, I in just think of way? like all the people that were upset about your vibrator thing. And it's like, well, I'm sure a bunch of the people that were upset about it were also just like kind of scared, like misplaced oh, upsetness. And so like, I don't know. Or also I have this one friend who's never orgasmed and she like feels guilty every time she masturbates. And it's like, what is it's the- It's also in- okay to not orgasm also. That's like, it's true. A lot worse. We're told to believe that like orgasm is the punctuation. It's like proves that you had sex or that you had a good time. But like, you know what? Sometimes people don't. And maybe there's a way that they can figure out how to do it. But also it's if they're having a good time and they don't, then it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. So well, I have learned so much reading like about the like physiology of the body, which I, I didn't think I was like necessarily lacking in information. I would love to have the author of Come As You Are on. But she describes everything in, in such a way that it's like, that there's so many things that I didn't even know about my own body, about my partner's body, about like the, the, the physiology of it, that why things happen the way they do or why you're not going to have an orgasm from penetration, like the distance from one thing to another. And it, I think when people can feel like it's not their fault, like it's just how my body's put together. It's a combination of the body and also like psychology around it yeah. too. Like those are those combined yeah. to make something possible or not possible or, you know. All very interesting. I forget what the, I feel like there was a different question, but like we kind of went on this other. Steph tangent. wants to get a little kinky and she's trying to figure out a good first step, I think. Oh, I'm very, I don't need help. I think. No? Oh, Okay. <laughs> I, We're going to have I an episode gonna, with just Steph and I talking about this. I was going to, Mina, you'll think this is hilarious. When I first moved into this apartment, I have like, I'm I'm gay, so I have, well, not so. I shouldn't say that. Many people have many sex toys, but I had all of my dildos <laughs> on my like windowsill <laughs> beside my bed because I didn't, I didn't move with like the little box that they came in. Um, so I had them lined up on my windowsill, which just storage wise is not a good was idea. It by, was it by shape or color that you had them? Or oh, See, just, I'm a Virgo and I need to know like how you organize. They were them. beautiful. And What's some of them are like sparkly and the light would hit them and they would like Aww. reflect This is amazing on the wall. It was marketing beautiful. for you. That's beautiful. It was beautiful. All yeah. who pass. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting a little emotional. Yeah. But well, it was in my backyard and then my neighbors were like, who is this person that moved in? Um, anyways, that's an <laughs> anecdote. I, um, we have, a, a, it's a, it's a festival. It's called Art Squared. I live like right downtown in Indianapolis in a very, uh, you know, like hipster art transitioning neighborhood. And this year, particularly, they really kind of cracked down on Art Squared to make it those artists that are outside the box. And I was walking the uh, all the tents with my two kids and our neighbor and their two little girls. And our neighbors are not people that I would ever, you know, they're not clutching their pearls. And we walked by this table. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I say there was a hundred clay vaginas and penises of all different colors and sizes and shapes. And I said, oh my gosh, that's a lot of vaginas. And the the neighbor's child looked at him and she said something like, oh, those are just elf ears. They're elf ears because they kind of look like elf ears. Yeah. But even something that small, I was like, look, Jack, that one looks like yours kind of. And he's like, it does, mom. <laughs> just trying to normalize that from such a young age. I, I, I felt like it was really important for me to do. And I was really proud of myself in that moment that I did not say, oh, those are elf ears. <laughs> Yeah, because that's very confusing. 
Well, I want to make sure people know how they can get in touch with you um, if they would like to or if they can find out more information. Oh, yeah. I think the easiest is to go to kinkdoctor.com. I also have my website called dulcineapitagora.com, but there are more letters in that one and not it's not as easy to remember, <laughs> I'm told. So um, Kink Doctor is a, a site that I have set up with more information for people outside of New York anyway. So um, uh, my Dulcinea Pitagora is my like New York practice. And then um, there are ways to, to practice outside, but it depends on regulations of the location and everything like that. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate it. This has been a very fun educational conversation. So thank you for joining. Uh, And thank you guys all for listening. Please don't forget to leave a question. I hope you know by now, literally any question, there's a link in the show notes and hit follow to make sure you catch every episode. And I will see you next Tuesday.